at any point in our congregation, if you have a, a group of people, there are certain things that uh, people in this room are grappling with. There are some that would be saying, I, I wonder how I know who I should marry. I wonder how I should know which college to go to. How do I know what job to take? Or if I'm in the right job right now? How do I know if this is the church for me? And if I'm looking at various doctrines of the church, how do I know that these are right? Now, in the passage before us today, we are going to see Peter presenting an essential teaching, something we've looked at over the last several weeks in terms of the, uh, the sequence of what was going on in his life and how God was changing a direction, changing his mind on who the gospel should go to. And last week we looked at his message of the gospel itself. But today he's going to a, a group of people to explain what God has shown him. And in the process of that, we're going to take a look at how God led him to believe those things, how God worked in those circumstances. So I'm going to read in a, a couple of uh, blocks of scripture at different times during uh, the message today, but let's begin with uh, the first nine verses. It says this, this is Acts 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. See, that was the radically new thing, that it wasn't just for the Jews, but the Gentiles had received it. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that would be a Jewish group of people, criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. This is his explanation. I was in the city of Joppa, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a, a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. Let's pray together. Lord, will you today open up this passage to us and, and teach us 
There are things here that, that we need to know about. There are things here that should give us a right perspective and things we can know more about you and how you work. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would teach us. You'd help us to focus for these very few minutes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, before we get into this passage, I want to uh, mention what we would call a hermeneutic principle. Now, hermeneutics is uh, the science of interpretation of the scripture. And one of the things, and I've mentioned this several times as we've gone through the books of Acts, one of the, the principles is that when you're looking at a historic book or a narrative, you've got to be a, a little bit careful and make sure you don't presume that just because God worked that way at that time, that he will always work that way. If it's a principle in Scripture, you're going to also see it elsewhere in Scripture in a teaching portion or a doctrinal portion or one of the letters of Paul. And so uh, you don't want to base a major doctrine on uh, one instance of how God saw fit to work. Now, at the same time, there are things we can learn about God. And in this passage, when we see how uh, God led Peter, we're going to see at least how he chose to reveal himself to Peter in that one instance. That's what we can learn. But we will also see some things that I think we can take as principle because we see it taught elsewhere in the scripture itself. Now, I just read to you um, in this passage, uh, verse 5, it says this, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Here's the first thing we see here, and that is that uh, when God revealed his will to Peter, he was praying. Here's the first thing we see here, and that is that uh, when God revealed his will to Peter, he was praying. Now, Peter's an apostle. We should not necessarily expect that uh, every way that he revealed things to the apostles, he's going to reveal them to us in that exact same way. And yet, what we see is he put himself in the posture in a place where he indeed could hear God. What happened? Well, he had a, he had a vision. Now, I want to caution us on, on a, a falling off, uh, you know, the wagon on either side in this particular thing. On the one side, I'm not willing to say that God can't give visions today. I just don't think that's a, a very safe place for us to be, to say God can't. In fact, we see from uh, overseas where people are bearing witness to 
Muslims that are coming to Christ, that it's very common for there to be a dream or a vision involved in their conversion. We're getting those reports, credible reports, from various places in the world. It seems to be that that's one thing that God uses with Muslims. And, uh, you know, why that is, well, God knows. But the fact is that he can do that if he chooses to do that. I am comfortable with saying, you know what, for most of us, that's not the ordinary way. Don't wait on a vision. Don't expect a vision uh, in, in terms of God revealing himself to you. But he can do anything he wants. Now, on the other hand, the other side of that is there are some circles that imply that he's constantly giving visions. And if you don't have a vision, then you don't really know how God is leading you. The problem with that is what's the check and balance against that? How do you know you've rightly interpreted it? How do you know the vision is from God? How do you know it wasn't just something that you ate, you know, that gave you a vision (laughs) that night? If that's all you have, there's something here I believe we see Immediately, and that is that uh, you know Peter put himself in the position of hearing God in the posture of prayer, and we see that all throughout the Scripture. That you can take as principle. It wasn't a one-time thing. He was open to hearing from God, and God saw fit to lead him during that time. Now, how did he know, though? After the vision had taken place, how did he know that this was from God after he put himself in that position? Well, it was confirmed by a word from the Lord. Uh, Verse 7 says, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. Okay, so what about us? Should we say, okay, well, then if God gives me a vision, then I can expect him to speak audibly right after that to clarify if it's really from God. No. I wouldn't wait on that either. Because you see, we actually have more words from God than they had. We have the holy word of God, complete. And ordinarily, that's where God speaks to us. That's such an important principle that you scouts, I want to make sure that you have that opportunity to hear from God. And we've got some Bibles for you. Will you come up here? And you older scouts can too. This isn't just for the Cub Scouts. 
is from the Gideons, supplied us with this. That's their ministry, and it's a gift from them and us. This is how God reveals himself to us. What, what a gift this is, not just from me. I, I got plenty to stay there. <laughs> now, I'd encourage you to use those, to read in them, and in the back you find the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how important the word of God is. That's for all of us as well. Do you want to hear from God? Don't wait on something uh, mystical out there. God has spoken and we live in a day where his revelation is completed for us. And that's the check and balance so that we can know his will. Now, Peter continued to uh, check out about this. Look at uh, verse 11. It says, and behold, at that, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were uh, sent to me from Caesarea. And that's the second thing we see here, and that is that when God revealed his will to Peter, he confirmed it with circumstances. Look at what it says. At, behold, at that very moment. What a wonderful coincidence, some would say. And we would say, no, that's not a coincidence. That is God's providential working every moment in this life God is working and we see his hand in these circumstances you know Peter didn't even have a chance to say like Ebenezer Scrooge I think I've had some bad porridge you know from the the thing at that very moment they showed up now, the whole story is important because sometimes Christians look at circumstances and they try to interpret things just from the circumstances. See, what we're seeing here is a balance of listening to God, God confirming by speaking his word, and then him looking at the circumstances and saying, this all very much fits. But sometimes, if you're not careful, if you don't use the word of God and the other things we will speak about in a moment. Well, let me tell you, uh, there's another PCA pastor, Rob Rayburn. He tells the story of uh, when he was at Covenant College, and he said that uh, everybody was sitting around talking about how they had decided to come to covenant and he said one of the girls there said I was outside praying about what college to go to and I looked up in the sky and the clouds formed a sea 
and Rob being rather, and she, so she said, so I knew I should be a covenant, and here I am. Rob, being rather astute, said, how'd you know it wasn't Calvin College? <laughs> or Columbia? Or Cambridge? Or maybe he wanted you at home cooking? <laughs> See, that's the problem. That's the problem with just looking at circumstances without overriding it with the Word of God and with other guidance, as I said, we will see in a minute. If you rely on circumstances alone, there's danger. Now, Peter didn't rely just on circumstances. But the danger of looking at circumstances is like a married person saying, well, If God didn't want me to leave my wife, why would he put that other person in my life? You see the dangers? That's a misinterpretation that could have easily, by the way, I've heard that, that could have easily been corrected by the word of God and what it says. Now, you may say, well, you know, it'd be so much easier if, if he gave me a sign or a miracle. Listen to what Philip Yancey says in, in his book, Disappointment with God. He says, some Christians long for a world well-stocked with miracles and spectacular signs of God's presence. I hear wistful sermons on the parting of the Red Sea and the Ten Plagues and the daily manna in the wilderness as if the speakers yearn for God to unleash his power like that today. But the follow the dots journey of the Israelite should give us pause. Would a burst of miracles nourish faith? Not the kind of faith God seems interested in, evidently. The Israelites gave ample proof that signs may only addict us to signs, not to God. You see what that's saying? If God were to to give those outward signs, all it would mean is we'd want more signs and our faith would remain weak. That's what we see with the Israelites. But instead, he has other ways of leading us, including circumstances and including a word from him. Let me read you the next section, beginning with verse 12. It says, And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He'll declare to you a message by which you'll be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Here's where we see another check and balance in terms of how God showed Peter. 
when God revealed his will to Peter, he confirmed it through, this is important, godly counselors. Godly counselors. Look at verse 12. The Spirit came, uh, as the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And then verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, the Old Testament calls for two or three witnesses. Look at what Peter was was using. This was such a radical change from what he thought was the right direction. He wasn't satisfied with two or three. These six brothers also accompanied me. Six other counselors. Let me say it as straight, as plain as I can. If you try to discern God's will without the word, without circumstances, and without godly counselors, you will probably get it wrong. You're putting yourself in a dangerous place. Now, it's important, and I emphasize this, he was dealing with with godly men. When you choose others to help you discern God's will, make sure it's Christ followers, not just someone who will tell you what you want to hear. I've seen that way too often. People will ask around, and they will ask somebody, and they may not even know Christ. And you're asking them? For direction for your life? That's not the right place to be for believers. Choose a godly counselor who knows the Bible, who's been around, who's mature, who can look at your circumstances, who can look at the word of God, who can look at you and know you and advise you from a godly perspective. That's the safety net that God gives to us. Now, I want to give you three very quick applications in terms of following God's will. And in one way, it's one's kind of a warning. Following God may take you where you never expected. Let me give you a couple examples of that, several. I was, I, I've thought back over my ministry, and some of my examples are more exotic than others. I found myself in an airport in Karachi, Pakistan, after midnight, never having met anyone in that town, having made a phone call to the only number I had which had been disconnected. I found myself another time on the 10th floor of a a dormitory 
in a place I was speaking in Hungary, and I was looking out the unscreened window down at the fourth floor where flames were coming out of the building that I was in. I once found myself preaching in a country that I won't name to a secret gathering of believers, people that were very conscious that if they were discovered, they would have been in great danger. And one time I found myself on the back of a motorcycle with the driver here, and I was holding my suitcase like this with a backpack on, flying through the streets of Hyderabad, India, trying to get to the airport in time. Now, don't worry, I lived through all of those. (laughs) But much less exotic. I grew up in the suburbs, and I found myself pastoring a, a church of farmers and miners in southwestern Pennsylvania in a county where there were more sheep than people. And I've lived in the South longer than I lived anywhere in my whole life. And if someone had told me 33 years ago when I got ordained that I would be in Columbia, South Carolina today, it would have been a surprise. But I can't picture myself anywhere else. Now, all of those have one thing in common. That I could look down at my feet and say, how did you get here? And the only answer is, following God. If you follow God, it may take you to places you never expected. And one more thing. If you teach your children to follow God, you may look down and see your feet in a country like Turkey as you're visiting your children and grandchild. But that's not the end of the story. You may go to places you never expected, but God is always there. Secondly, following God may not always make sense to others, especially at first. You all called me to be the pastor of this church six and a half years ago. And after you voted, I had to do one of the hardest things I ever had to do in my whole life, and that was to go back to Atlanta and to tell a church full of people that I deeply loved that God was calling us to Columbia, South Carolina. And that next month before I actually left, was one of the hardest of my whole life. 
being excited about God bringing us here, but the grief of leaving those that we loved and dealing with the grief of others, some of whom just couldn't understand how that could be God's will. By the way, I had used his word and prayer and circumstances and godly counselors before I ever came here to candidate. But here's the ultimate comfort, and that's the third application. Following God is always better. It's always better. Earlier we read from Romans 8, 26 and 27. That was in the song, rather, that was uh, sung during the offertory. Here's the next verse. It was one of our verse of the years. Romans 8:28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's why following God is always better. That's the grid. That's the filter that you've, you've got to work everything in your life through. And that is this, that God always does what's best for his children. He always does what is best for his children. And if you're in the middle of a trial right now and wondering where is God's will in this Know that God always does what is best for his children. And if you're not in a trial, determine today to believe that. No matter what you face. Because when you get in the middle of the trial, sometimes it doesn't look like it's what's best. But the word of God is true. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That is how the comfort of Christ can reign in our lives. Let's bow together. Lord, thank you that You've not left us alone to cope with this life and cope with our future and to figure out our future, but you've spoken most of what we need to know in your word. But you've also given us godly counselors. You also determine circumstances whereby we can see your hand at work. Thank you for that, Lord. But will you help us to know and really to believe that you always do what's best for your children? Whatever you ordain is right. Give us the faith to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.